This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all the other shows in our network. We have the Up and Running Podcast with Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley. They bring you all of the latest news in elite and professional distance running. Those women are doing a fabulous job over there and they are working hard and the show just keeps getting better. It really does. Make sure you go check it out. Now you also are going to want to check out the Illuminate podcast. I host that podcast along with a couple other of my friends. Our most recent episode over there is hosted by me and it is with author Molly Huffman. She wrote a book called The Moon is Round and she's walked through some tragedy in her, her life, but ultimately her story is filled with peace and hope and It's a really great interview. I encourage you to go check it out. And that is on the Illuminate podcast. Today on I'll Have Another, you're listening to episode 263, and I'm talking with Addie Bracey. Really excited to have Addie on the show. She is an ultra runner, but she has really specialized in about every distance. She is a three-time Olympic trials qualifier. She's qualified in the 10K and the marathon. She's a three-time national champion in the mountains and a three-time USATF mountain runner of the year. She placed second at Leadville in 2018, And in 2019, she placed ninth at Western States. That was only her second 100 miler, by the way. She runs for Nike Trail and is the co-founder of OutRun. OutRun works to outrun discrimination, negativity, self-doubt, and stereotypes. The inspiration behind OutRun is simple. It's to empower and connect LGBTQ plus individuals within the running community and to create an environment that is encouraging, supportive, and inclusive to all. They seek to create a support network to encourage others to build confidence, foster joy, and gain strength through the power of movement. You're going to hear all about Addie's running in this episode, along with the book she's writing. She's writing a book on sports psychology. We get into that a lot. I had a lot of questions about that. And she also tells us a little bit more about her passion with OutRun. All right, friends, this episode is sponsored by Prevenex. Prevenex is where I go for all of my vitamins and supplements. Their products are clean and sourced from the highest quality ingredients. My family loves the Nurify Plus protein powder. We make smoothies daily over here. My kids take the Super Vites. Some of them would prefer to eat them like candy. And if you are having any sort of joint discomfort, you need to check out their Joint Health Plus. It contains a unique blend of clinically proven ingredients to provide the fastest joint relief and protection possible. Recent buyer and listener of the show, Sarah W. says my joint pain in my knee has improved greatly since taking this product. I'm so happy to hear that because when I promote products on this show, their products I truly believe in. So seeing those testimonials means so much and I'm just so glad it's working. I'm so glad it's helping with your knee pain, Sarah. You all can feel better too when you take these products. Check them out. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER and get 15% off your first order. 
All right, friends, here we go. Enjoy my conversation with Addie Bracey. Well, today on the podcast, I'm super excited to welcome Addie Bracey to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yes. What does your day look like today? It's been a busy day already. Um, I had to get up super early to take Corey to the airport. She's flying back home to Maine uh, to see some family and then got my run in and had a few calls. And yeah, I can't believe it's almost halfway through the day already. She's all masked up on an airplane. Is this the first flight since COVID? First flight. She was a little nervous. Yeah, she had some sweaty palms leaving and uh, had her mask and everything on though. So I think it'll be okay. But yeah, I really wanted to get home and see some family. Yeah, it's been a long time, I'm sure. Well, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. So um, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time and we're finally making it happen. I've heard so many good things about everything you're doing with the running community. And um, I'd love to just first start um, by teaching the listeners a little bit about your life in case they're not um, keeping up with your career. I know you walked on to the track team at North Carolina and you've kind of moved up in distance in the past few years, but I love the story of how you walked onto that team and then just became, you know, the captain and had a great career. So share with us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I, I honestly wasn't sure how long I would run in college. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, so I always wanted to go to Carolina. I was always a Tar Heel fan. Um, and my dad coached me in high school. And so I think there were some components of that that had me like a little bit burned out by the time I graduated. He was fantastic, but just yeah. living with your coach 24 seven can be a little hard. Um, so yeah, I, I was recruited. I went on a recruiting trip, but I wasn't on a scholarship or anything. So it was kind of considered more of a walk on mm-hmm. and could essentially lose my spot at any time. Um, but it, it was a fantastic experience. I was definitely the slowest on the team by a lot my freshman year. I think I was one of two freshmen. Um, there was only two of us in my class um, and several current Olympians when I was there and then some that went on to make the Olympic team uh, the next in t- 2008. Uh, so definitely in way over my head. Um, but I'm just someone that kind of that has always liked the process. Like I really like training. And even though I wasn't maybe racing a lot early on and traveling, I just liked going to practice and liked working hard and kind of steadily improved uh, during my four or five years there. And yeah, I was doing pretty well by the end. Who, who was on the team? What Olympians did you run with? So Shalane was still in Chapel Hill. Uh, she had made, I graduated high school in 2004. So she had just like literally just made that Olympic team okay. while she was still in college. Uh-huh. Um, so she was there. She didn't have any eligibility, but I think, I think she had one semester left of school. Okay. Uh, so she was there and she was around and, um, and then Alice, Schmidt and Aaron Donahue made the next Olympic team uh, in the 800 and the 1500. And so they were like my actual teammates and they were awesome. And, um, but just way, way better than I was. And so, um, and then several other teammates, you know, that won NCAA championships and that kind of thing too. So very competitive team. Yeah. It's, it's quite the program to walk in onto. I feel like any, any big 10 or any, any big college program would be intimidating, but knowing that Shalane Flanagan was on the team probably was intimidating. Oh, very. I remember watching the, the trials and seeing her make the team and it was like immediate, like, oh, cool. That's where I'm going to college. And then like, secondly, like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Like, I'm not ready for that. It's like to be in a program like that, but it was great. It was awesome. What does that feel like? I always wondered too, I wasn't a very good runner in, in high school, but you know, you could, if you can run decent, you can walk onto a team and mm-hmm. whatever. But, um, I always felt like it would be so intimidating. 
it definitely was. I think the first year or so, almost every run felt like a tempo. You know, I was mm. just like trying to stay with them on the runs. Yeah. Um, but I, it just didn't bother me. Like I, I like, like I said, working hard and I don't feel like I need to be the best. And in some ways that's even been a detriment to me because I'm, I'm not super competitive with other people. Mm. I just want to be improving. And as long as I was improving, I was happy. And, you know, I had a great coach who probably should have cut me in terms of my times and stuff, but saw how hard I worked and gave me a chance. And I think it paid off for both of us because, you know, by the end I was making nationals individually and, you know, I set a school record and that kind of thing. So he just gave me my time, you know, to improve slowly and let me stick it out and it paid off. What distance did you set the school record in? I read that and I didn't know what distance it was. Yeah. It's very hard to get a school record at Carolina. So I got like the very obscure, like indoor 5k that nobody ever ran at the time. Um, (laughs) I think it just got broken maybe like two years ago by another athlete. Um, But I was like, how did I even get this? Like every single record is so fast that Uh it was just like nobody ever did the indoor 5K, I guess. I'm not even sure who had it before I did. Well, you you had it. So regardless (laughs) of the time, you got it. Yeah. Um, Okay, wait, what was your undergrad in? Because I know that you just recently completed your master's in sports psychology. But what was your undergrad in? Uh, It was in communications. Okay. So I really say it was in athletics uh-huh. um, for me is, you know, being a three sport athlete, I, I still think it was like a relevant and a, a major that I really enjoyed. But for me, maybe it's, I don't know, just the kind of person I am just trying to balance everything. It was um, school definitely came second. Like mm-hmm. I admit that I still did well, but you know, I wasn't going to be like a biology major or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being a student athlete, honestly. Um, okay. So when did you move out to Colorado? Um, 2012. So I ran the Olympic trials in the 10k in 2012. Um, and at the trials, uh, was called by a coach here, Brad Hudson, oh, Brad, yeah. um, to come out to, yeah, to come out and train with him for the marathon. So I moved like a month after the trials in uh, 2012. So about eight or nine years ago. Yeah. Does that feel like a long time ago to you? Like I feel, you know, you've done so much in the ultra running world now. Does it feel like a different lifetime? And as far as career oh, goes? Yeah. Someone said, a, a trail runner said that to me recently, hearing about my background. And uh-huh. she's like, you, you've lived like nine lives. I'm like, no, I truly have. Like, I can't even like, yeah, making the Olympic trials on the track seems like, I don't know, decades ago. And I mean, it was a long time ago, but still. Yeah. And so hard to do. I mean, making the trials time in the 10K is insane when you compare it to like making it with the marathon. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It definitely, I've having qualified for both. People ask me which one was uh-huh. kind of more meaningful, and I'm like, well, both. I mean, the marathon's yeah. really hard. I would never take away from anybody that qualifies for that, but just the numbers of people. Yeah, the 10k, I had to dig deep for that one for sure. Yeah. What do you miss most about the track? Um, I miss. I mean, it feels good to run fast. Yeah. You know, like I, my sport's just different now, and I definitely miss that feeling of being on the track and just like running fast and like how that feels and competing in that way, competing on the trails, especially in ultras feels a little bit different than on the track because you're actually out there by yourself a lot of the time. Um, so in some ways I kind of miss that vibe of, you know, being in a pack and the anticipate, like the anticipation and the energy that, that comes with that. But you're still doing like track workouts and like speed stuff, right? I do for training. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can loosely call it track workouts. My <laughs> 10 year, 10 years ago, myself would laugh at my track workouts. Now it's like the other day I did some 200s and was like pretty happy. And I was like, 
that's like slower than my old half marathon pace. That's pretty bad. <laughs> so I just try not to think about it. I'm like, don't think about it. It's like fast relatively now. Do you like the half? I The half is so terrifying to me, but your half time is pretty fast, 114. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever really nailed that one either. It's yeah. just different. That weird in between, like kind of feels like I'm running way too fast early on, but it's really long. Yeah. I don't think I ever quite figured that one out. Yeah. It's like, um, who was it? Lindsay Flanagan. And when I interviewed her, she was like, I feel like if you can run a half marathon, well, you're in really good shape for a 10 K. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean you're really in really good shape for a marathon. Totally agree. Actually. Yeah. My, <laughs> in fact, my, um, Brad, my old coach used to, I don't know that he verbally said this, but my perception was if someone ran like really fast in a half marathon in a marathon buildup, he was almost like worried, like, Oh no, uh, maybe we didn't approach this. Cause it's like, you should be like pretty specifically trained for this longer, slower pace. And so he almost would get, be concerned if you were like nailing a half right before a marathon. I ha So you were like part of one of his books. Hold on. Let me look. I have one of his books. Hold on. I don't think it's the one okay. you were part of. Let me see. It's right here. Run faster. Probably. Sorry. I'm moving you all around. Now I want to know. Yeah. Run it's, faster. Yeah. I didn't help with that one. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I think that was Matt Fitzgerald that helped him with that one. That's a good book though. I think. Um, yeah. I've used it a lot and like, mm -hmm developing some workouts and things like that for sure um what was the book though that you were part like you helped him on yeah it was a really cool concept that he came up with and I just kind of helped him I always say I like translate Brad because I was I knew him for so long that I could kind of take what he was trying to say and translate it into something people could understand but it was more of a um it was called the little black book but it was essentially a compilation of like every kind of workout you could ever think of that he I guess, you know, has used and has seen be successful, broken up into chapters per event, and then like, what you were trying to accomplish or time of year. So it might be early base building for a marathon, it might be very specific, you know, four weeks out for a marathon. So it's kind of if you have some con some concept of periodization, it just gives you some options and explains why you would choose that workout. Um, so it's probably for my coaching wise was one of the best it was basically like an immersive, you know, mentorship where for three or four months, I just sat with him and went through all this stuff and really learned a lot. It was really cool. Okay. So you use a lot of that now with the people. Well, you're self-coached, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So you use a lot of that for your own training and then athletes that you coach. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. What, um, he's like, did he, you know, he's in Texas or something. What's he doing? He's back in Boulder, actually, just oh, as is. of recently. Yeah. Okay. He always ends up back here for some reason. I think he's like, <laughs> it's the curse of Chief Naiwad, I think they call it, that you just can't leave once you're here. Okay. But you don't work with him at all anymore. No, no. He's still a great friend of mine. Uh, I super respect him. I still think he's one of the best marathon coaches. But once I went to the trails, even he was like, I don't really know how to help uh, you. <laughs> um, so I've been self-coached ever since I switched. It's good to admit when it's like someone's yeah. going a different direction and it's just not a good fit anymore. Yeah, I respected it. Okay, so you were like a entrepreneur through and through though because both of your businesses, you run them, like the the mental health performance and then your coaching business. Do they kind of go hand in hand? Like do you when you work with coaching athletes on the physical side, do a lot of times you coach them on the mental side as well? What does that look like? Yeah, so the way I usually say it is um if I'm coaching an athlete, I'm their coach. It, I would be a terrible coach if I wasn't using some of my knowledge in sports psychology. Yeah. So it definitely goes into play. Um, it doesn't go the other way. So I work with many athletes who I don't coach. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually, because I am, a, it, it tends to be mostly runners just because of my background. 
Um, and because I am a coach, I am very careful to not step on toes or overstep that boundary of um, giving any kind of coaching advice. So with those athletes, I only specifically focus on mental performance and kind of the psychology of performance. Do you work with athletes though that aren't runners? Um, yeah, I have for sure. Um, I would say most of the people I, like I said, I do get are mostly runners, um, just because of my background. And I think it's a unique sport as well. Um, but yeah, I've worked with swimming, soccer, softball, and volleyball, all at like pretty high levels with younger athletes. Yeah. So part of the reason you went and got your master's in the sports psychology, did this have to do with your own mental battles that you dealt with in your own racing and training? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I was talking to someone about this the other day and it's just, I don't ever remember being exposed to the idea of sports psychology like ever until maybe later in my career. And that might not be everyone's experience. And it was kind of like, if you train and you put the work in, you race well. And if you don't go figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, like that's kind of what my coaches would say. And, um, I, I just would see these kind of trends in myself of times when I wouldn't perform well, when it didn't really add up in terms of training or in terms of what I was doing in practice. Um, and even like reflecting on a race, just not having the confidence to make a move or not being able to check out of like the discomfort I was feeling or whatever it was. Um, and actually I would say one of the bigger influences was in my coaching was in seeing my athletes because when you're on that side of it Mm. you can see you can almost see this like psychological breakdown happening in races Um, and that got frustrating for me like in terms of I was frustrated for them this was when I was coaching high school Um, so yeah I just started to recognize how important it was and also that at least where I was wasn't a super common resource whereas there was tons of great coaches and so I just really wanted to learn more about this field for myself and to help the athletes I was coaching, but also to maybe be a resource within the sport, especially in this area. At what point did you feel like you kind of started overcoming these mental battles yourself? Are you still working on it? What does that look like actively today? I'm definitely still working on it. Um, but for me, I think my biggest issue was like anxiety before races. Mm-hmm. And so I would get really, really nervous, like wouldn't sleep the night before and would be super stressed out before races, almost to the point where I wasn't really enjoying it anymore, which was kind of scary. So I've done a lot of work on that in terms of kind of not redefining, but making sure my worth isn't too tied to my results and like really separating my identity from my results, which has been huge for me. Um, But also, you know, physiologically, like learning the tools to deal with that anxiety so that I can sleep and to kind of calm down my nervous system and chill out when I need to, um, have been the two things I think I've worked on the most. Okay. So I think this translates not only to running like anxiety in general, I get Mm -hmm. a lot of anxiety at night and sometimes middle of the night anxiety where I wake up and I can't sleep. Do you have any like tangible tools that you use? Yeah, totally. And and one of the useful things in, in anxiety is learning what's happening in your brain and your body. And actually most of what I've learned and how I translate it to running is like super interesting to me to know why my brain is doing that. Um, so, you know, when you're, when you're worrying or like for me, at least it was because I was worrying about something or like nervous about something. And so when you're having these thoughts, uh, what I always say that people don't really think about is as humans, we're like the only species that can imagine what's going to happen. Like our dogs don't sit around and think about what's going to happen tomorrow. But sometimes our bodies react physically to those in like unrealistic stories that we're painting. And so if I'm sitting there worrying about a bad race, 
your body can almost perceive that it's, it's a threat. Like it's seen it as a threat. It's seen it as something it should be afraid of. Um, so your body responds appropriately, which is your fight or flight response or your sympathetic nervous system like charges up. And that's why you feel anxious and you can't sleep and you're kind of sweaty and your heart rate's higher. All things that are designed to keep you alive and like why our species is still here on the planet. So you want to be like thankful for it. But if you can implement the tools to like shut that off or at least like turn it down a little bit, um, you can control it better. So one of the most useful tools actually is like a breathing technique. Uh, it's a super specific breathing technique, but it's designed specifically to like disengage your sympathetic nervous system and like calm you down. <clears throat> so I use that a lot, like when I'm in traffic and I'm getting road rage or mm. when I can't sleep or really anytime I feel like I'm getting anxious. Um, it's probably the most effective, like quick fix, quick tool. Okay. I know you said it's specific, but like, can you give any kind of, cause like I, well, some, my husband was <coughs> always like, when you can't sleep, you need to take 10 really slow, deep breaths and like kind of guide your mind into that. But what you're saying, I'm picturing myself in like a rage with my kids or like, you know, whatever life circumstances it is. Can you describe at all what the technique is? Yeah, it's just that it's it's slow breathing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a 10 second. No, it's a is it 10? Yeah, 10 second breath cycle. So six breaths per minute. So it's okay. pretty slow, but it's I tend to do um, like a four second inhale and a six second exhale. So okay. you want like a slightly longer exhale. But the reason is it it uh, targets your vagus nerve, which like I said, it's this is why I like it because I'm I want like science of like right. hey, cool if I'm gonna do slow breathing like tell me why uh-huh. um, but it like I said it disengages your sympathetic nervous system so it's it's slow breathing and it's very calming and I think serves the second purpose of like if you're focusing on counting your breaths you're not focusing on the things that you would be worrying about or you're not focusing you know you can't do two things at one time uh, at least not well so it kind of serves to occupy your mind a little bit too. Wow. I love that. Okay. I have to go to the doctor next week for like this checkup. I have to get every six months that I hate doing and I'm going to go, I'm going to do that breathing while they're doing the ultrasound for sure. That's good. Um, well, that's awesome. I love, I love hearing that side of things. And I do think that's far too often, especially even in, um, you know, runners who are just trying to run a four hour marathon or a three hour marathon or whatever, like they let, nerves and anxiety like almost ruin the whole experience (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what's the fun in that so I think that that's a really powerful tool for sure um I want to talk about your ultra running ninth at western states last year that's pretty awesome what was the big goal with that race to be top 10 yeah I think that was at least like the base level goal. Like I didn't want to, it was so hard to qualify the first time. I didn't want to have to go through that again. Um, I thought <laughs> I would do better to be honest, not to be the typical athletes. that's like, yeah, ninth was great, but it wasn't <laughs> what I was wanted. Cause I mean, that race is so competitive and everybody that was ahead of me is an amazing athlete. Um, I think I was definitely looking for more, but there's just so much that goes into a hundred miles. And I think experience is the biggest factor. And it was only my second one. And I've, totally screwed up both of them. So I think it's just going to take me some time to figure out some of the logistics of hundred mile races. Um, but regardless, it was an amazing experience. Like the energy and the history and everything behind that race is really cool. Yeah. It's pretty wild that that was only your second hundred. When you say you messed up a couple things, both races, what were those things? It's mostly been fueling. Mm -hmm. Um, both 
almost to the mile, I started, I started throwing up around 75 miles in both races. Uh, And so I don't know if that's something just coincidence, or if there's something I'm messing up in terms of like what I'm doing early on, but it's kind of hard to recover from it. I definitely did better the second time, like just didn't let it like bother me as much, I guess. Um, but that becomes an issue if you're to the point where you can't get fluids and fuel down that still that relatively early in a race. Um, that's been the biggest piece. And then, I mean, of course I'm going to say this because I'm obsessed with psychology, but I just still haven't quite developed those skills to suffer for that long. Mm-hmm. Like I get to the point where eventually I let pretty minor things like really get to me, which like sore feet, like mm-hmm. my feet really hurting or, um, I say minor cause it feels like deathly in the moment, but there's nothing like super serious wrong, but it, it gets to a point where I like can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. How, so how do you get to that point? Like what are your next steps then for the next time you do it? And again, I think partially experience and just knowing that what you're feeling is normal, like normalizing the fatigue and the sore feet and the sore legs. Um, I don't know. I've, I'm currently working on a book right now that's involved interviewing a lot of these people. And so I'm learning from them and learning kind of these techniques of dissociating from that pain and Uh fatigue because like I said I'm not I'm not trying to say that anyone should have something really serious wrong and ignore it but most of this is like it's just pretty moderate to high not extreme pain that's there for 10-15 hours and I think eventually I'm just like I can't do this anymore um so learning those tools to kind of check out of that and be able to like coexist with how you feel on the trails and not have to like force it away or want it to go away and just kind of deal with it. And it's a skill that you have to learn. Isn't it interesting though, that some people seems like they're, I don't know this. I don't know if um born with the gift to suffer is the right way to put it. But like some people, if you line them up together and they did the exact same thing um, and they had the same talent level, it almost seems like some people are just wired to be able to suffer easier. Is that the right way to say it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think you're right. I don't know if it's born with or they develop those skills somehow. But from my research, at least in this very small group of people, it's just an acceptance of it. Like, it's just like, this is okay. I can feel like this and still do what I want to do versus people like me who really can't like shut the noise out. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to crack the code. I haven't yet, but I'm working on it. I love that. Accept it, accept the suffer. And you know that it's going to end. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. I want to hear about the book. What, what's the timeline? Um, So it sounds like you're interviewing other ultra runners and what does the layout of the book kind of look like? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a book specifically about sports psychology and mental performance in the context of ultra running. Just, I think it's such a fascinating sport. And I think it's mostly psychological. Um, And so the way it's kind of formatted is, um, I'm I'm kind of highlighting the different mental skills, for lack of a better word, that, that are necessary to perform well in the ultras, but using, like, real life athletes, some of the top performers, like really, I've done like hours of interviews with these people and kind of boiled down what I think or what I perceive to be some of the reasons why they're successful, whether that's, you know, being able to live with the discomfort, whether that's um, like some kind of values driven um, basis for their like participation in the sport. That's just like a really deep connection with the sport. There's just all kinds of different like themes that are showing up mixed with kind of understanding, like I said, biology and psychology and how your brain works, but then 
put into a way where the readers can take that content into their own training, like takeaways, like, okay, mm-hmm. great. I'm really glad that Courtney DeWalter can do that. But like, <laughs> how can I do that? Yeah. And so kind of how to develop that skill in yourself. That's so cool. That'll be, that'll be really good. Tell me um, the timeline. Like when do you plan to publish this? Um, I think early next year, next spring, I'm, I should be wrapping it up this fall. Okay. Um, I'm getting p- pretty close to being done. Um, and then, yeah, I'm sure there's some final like things that need to happen and edits and work throughs and all that, but, um, I'm getting there. Yeah. It's been a long process. So I'm like super intrigued by the book writing process. Are you shopping a publisher? Do you have a publisher? Are you self-publishing? I have a publisher. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's a really big deal. So that's really awesome. Okay. So what do you think you've learned most from these, from these athletes so far from your, I mean, I'm like dying to get my hands on it. I want to like listen to the interviews. I'm like, will you release the audio at some point? (laughs) I actually thought I have them all like recorded on my iPad and I was looking at the list of names and I'm like, man, people would like pay money for these conversations. 100%. Um, But yeah. Well, they will in your book. Yeah, exactly. Um, Gosh, I learned a lot. I, it's just such a fascinating sport to me. And I think it's unlike any other sport happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to pick out the themes that tend to show up most, but they're really, if you, if you're ever around ultra runners, there's just like a calmness yeah. to them. Like it, it just seems like they don't get rattled very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually a, a barrier to me when I first went into ultras is that as a track runner, you know, you're used to like chasing prime conditions and you go race the meets where, you know, the weather is always mm-hmm. going to be 60 degrees and no wind and it's like perfect and take away as much adversity as possible so that you can run fast. But in ultras, it's like there's going to be so much adversity and so many unpredictable factors that the people that tend to thrive, it just like they they just don't get shaken. And I don't know if it's there's a mixture of confidence, but also just like a willingness to adapt and problem solve things that pop up. And the, the people that are successful are able to do that very quickly. Um, and then an acceptance of the things that they can't fix. And so that's, you know, fatigue or bad weather or it just doesn't rattle them. And that's that's been something I've noticed racing in these races, but also, yeah, in these conversations with these athletes. I think we're all going to start using that except in our vocabulary more when we're talking about racing pain or pain with anything. We're going to accept it. I hope so. Yeah. You can't change it. If it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. All right. A quick break here to thank a sponsor for this episode. And that is Curex. The Run Pro insert by Curex delivers sensational comfort, optimized motion, reduced injuries, and enhanced stability for greater confidence. Some of us need a little bit of support and a little bit of cushion in our shoe, and Curex is the answer. What I love about Curex is they are highly customizable. You fill out your own profile on their website, and the insole is customized to your foot. They are designed to reduce foot pressure and increase comfort and are scientifically proven to do so. And the great news is Curex offers a 60-day warranty even if the product has been cut to fit your shoes. All right, you all can visit curex.us and use the code IHA15 for 15% off a pair of Curex insoles. Again, that's curex.us. Use the code IHA15 for 15% off Curex insoles. All right, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Addie Bracey. Uh, I want to talk about Nike Trail, um, your sponsorship with them and when that began. Who were you working with before you were working with Nike again? 
Uh, I was loosely with Solomon. I okay. wasn't like when they're major athletes, but uh-huh. yeah. Okay. So how did this courtship with Nike work out? What did it look like? And I know they, your partner, Corey is also sponsored by them. I think that's so cool. And I like, did you guys sign at the same time? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So she's, she's not anymore as of this year, only because she's oh. stopped competing for a little bit, um, which is not negative at all. She just was sure. working full time and couldn't do it. But, but yes, we did sign at the same time. She, uh, uh originally she ran for Hanson's distance project after college. Um, so she's super fast, way faster than me in college. Um, and we actually met on a U.S. team. So she had retired and wasn't running for about four years until we met um, and then started, got into the trails too and was doing pretty well, like pretty quickly. Um, so at that same time, I was shopping for a sponsor and I'm almost 34. So mm-hmm. this time I was 32. So I was like, you know, my, not to say that I couldn't keep going longer, but my competitive days are probably numbered. And so I didn't just want a sponsor that was, I don't know. I wanted it to be about bigger than just mm-hmm. who's going to like, whose uniform am I going to wear? Like, how can I impact the sport? Hopefully better than like it was when I got here. And so the diversity piece was a big piece for me and some like a conversation that I started with uh, sponsors that I was looking at like right away mm-hmm. that this is important to me and distance running, particularly trail running is not very diverse. Um, there's not a lot of visibility for those uh, populations that are maybe underrepresented. So this is a part of who I am and something that I want to be part of like my image with whoever I, I get sponsored by. And so when I started that conversation with Nike and Corey came into the picture, they were like, let's sponsor both of you. Like we think that's awesome. Um, so her contract was a little bit shorter, just knowing she uh-huh. was going to go back to work full time. Um, but it was great. They've been so great to us. They're still great to her. She's still definitely part of the team and part of the family and, uh, are very supportive of, of us. Okay. So did you approach Nike or did Nike approach you? Um, I think I initially reached out to them via one of my really good friends who was already with them, Matt Daniels. Um, but then we just kind of had started having all these conversations that sounded really good on both sides and it just kind of went from there. That's so cool. I love that. Um, I think that, you know, some people have a bad taste in their mouth for Nike, but I don't ever hear that with Nike trail. Yeah. I, I will admit that at, at the time I was, those thoughts were going through my head. Like, it's not like I'm, not aware of some of the issues and also feel the same way as many people about some of the issues. But what, what actually was a big humbling learning point for me was that you can't assume you can't throw everyone under the bus for some mistakes that were made. And I have tried really hard to judge that brand and company based on how I've been treated, which Mm -hmm. has been really, really good and very accepting and very healthy. Um, And I agree with you that the Nike trail family is, they're just such great people. All the athletes are such great people. Um, So my experience has been nothing but good. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember what was going down. One of the major things that went down in the last couple of years. And um, I remember reading Sally McRae's post about it. And just everything she said was like, I mean, pretty much what you were saying just now. Like she was trying to look at everything big picture, but also like this is what her experience has been. And um, yeah, I'm trying to think who else are the other Nike Trail athletes i know sally for sure sally um Brittany peterson was oh, second at western states uh-huh. um matt daniels um camille heron camille yep i've had camille and um, Brittany on the show yeah 
That's so awesome. pretty good. Yeah, pretty good roster of people. Okay, so when we talk about diversity, let's talk about outrunning and what that program is. And what are you like two years in? Yeah, about. Okay, tell maybe, us. Maybe less. Yeah, about that. Tell us about the dream with what you and Corey want to do with outrunning. Yeah. So, like I said, we our stories our story is relevant to this because it's why we started this this organization. But um, we both made one of the U.S. like BUPA cross-country teams where they go do like the USA European Challenge uh, in Scotland in 2014, maybe a long time ago. Um, and we met and we like hit it off, but neither one of us was like out at that time. Okay. And so we just parted ways and after the trip and like still like kept up with what the other person was doing. Um, and it wasn't, we didn't start dating until four years later because we didn't know. And so we kind of think like, back to that. And, and it's, it's more than just us meeting. It's also just thinking back to our own stories of like, you know, when I was younger and in college, I didn't have anybody to look at who was gay and also a really great runner or professional runner like I wanted to be. And so when you're thinking about what you want to be after college, or you're thinking about who you want to be, it, it, it's hard when you don't see like when there's like conflicting messages. And so to me, I felt like I couldn't be both. Um, nor did, I mean, I also was like, I don't want to be the first either. Cause it's like, you know, you feel kind of, I don't, I'm a shy person and didn't, I just didn't know how to like make that mark. And so looking back, we think about how much different our stories could have been had there been people like Nikki Hiltz or yeah. people, you know, who are more outspoken now. Um, and so we've just recognized that by maybe being less visible, we could also be part of that problem. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's not my nature to want to be like in the spotlight, but we just decided to be visible and be open and hopefully maybe impact younger runners, but also just the the diversity in the sport itself. Um, And so at the time we were actually just looking for LGBTQ plus uh, running organizations. We were like, Oh, it'd be cool if there was like a group run somewhere. And we just couldn't really find any, at least for like younger, I don't know, at least our demographic. And so we just decided to start one and we're like, well, we'll just start it in Denver and kind of have local group runs here. Um, But that pretty quickly grew into people wanting to start chapters uh, like in their cities. So we've started doing that and have, I think tw- close to 25 ambassadors now in different cities um, that'll start group runs there once we're allowed to do group runs again. Yeah. Um, but since then, actually more this year and more as of recently, we've started to recognize the need or importance for some like advocacy and initiative type work. And so we're currently uh, working with a couple of different people and doing our due diligence on research and, and data, but we want to create like a best practices guide for events and race directors on how to make their races more inclusive, both in like the verbiage and language of their websites, like kind of their marketing, but also in their registration process, um, different like gender selection options, mm-hmm. um, transgender policies and that kind of thing. And our experience has been that the running community is very welcoming, but mm-hmm. some people just don't know there's like, they just don't know what to do. And so I think we hope by creating this, uh, this guide of information and kind of doing the legwork for the events and race directors that then hopefully there will no longer be an excuse of, I just didn't know what to do, or I didn't know, or um, I didn't have the information or that kind of thing. So that's kind of our big project going into the rest of this year and next year. That's so great. Yeah, know better, do better. And instead of like hiding or being embarrassed that you weren't doing it in the first place, just make the change. That's so awesome. Right. Um, okay. So I'm dying to know though, you guys meet four years later, you start dating. 
but neither of you were out yet when you first met. So like, how did that transpire? Like who, who came out first or did you like come out to each other? What did that look like? Um, I did. And it's, it's, I wish Corey was here because when she tells this story, <laughs> she tells it very differently than I do. She really? tells it, she remembers it differently. She remembers being very forward about her feelings on that trip. And I don't think that was the case, but I also <laughs> was very sick. I had the flu. So maybe I was just oblivious and like hopped up on Michael the whole time we were there. I don't know. Um, but I, I did, I came out first and I think she just found that out or like saw something or I wrote a blog, I think actually. Okay. And she read that and then she sent me like a Facebook message. And, and actually the conversation started with her saying like, I've been struggling with the same thing. Wow. And so we kind of started a friendship first of just like, you know, I know how that feels. It's, it's really hard. Um, but then that quickly evolved and she, she tells the story a lot differently than I do and said, it was like love at first sight and Aww. that she was a lot more forward than she, than I remember her being. Um, but either way, yeah, I, I definitely remember meeting her and thinking she was really cool. Okay. But so when she sent you the message and said, I've been struggling with that too, were you like, Oh my gosh, really? Like, were you shocked? I was shocked. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely was surprised. Um, I think there was definitely some excitement too, because right. I did remember us like really liking uh-huh. each other, but like not perceiving it that way at the time, like yeah. just being like, Oh, we like hung out and she's funny and we have fun together. Um, but I, honestly, I think more than anything, I was just excited. So I had been like out to my friends and family, yeah. but I hadn't like publicly said anything. And I was really nervous to do that. And actually my mom like didn't want me to because just, she lives in the South and has mm. a different perception of these kinds of things. And so my reason was, well, there could be someone else out there feeling the same way I did for a long time. And so more than anything, I just like appreciated that someone was able to get some kind of support out of me sharing my story. And it was really cool that it ended up being, you know, someone that I would be with for a long time. Um, but at first I just wanted to help, I think, and kind of help her like through that process. That's so cool. Are your parents married? Yes. Okay. So what, how old were you when you came out to them? Um, pretty old, 25, maybe 26. Was that really hard? So not the, it was hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, well, I love that you are using your platform as a professional runner to create, you know, this organization out running. And I'm sure you think about often younger athletes and people that are feeling alone. Like, is there anybody else out there? And I feel like 2020 you know, more than any other time in, in our, in our lifetime in this world, um, there are more places to go to find that community. And you're certainly a big part of it because I never heard of another LGBTQ organization specific to runners. Have you seen any others out there? There's one that's been around for a while, uh, called front runners. Okay. And it's mostly like group runs that set up in different cities and it's awesome. Our, experience with it and, and others as well is that it, it's mostly been um like older men mm-hmm. which is fantastic mm-hmm. but why not have you know more than one group run <laughs> in different centers like tons of just normal group runs so why not have more than one lgbtq plus um group run and so f- and for the same reason we've kind of t- tended to attract more of like our demographic of younger women um a lot of trail runners um so yeah i mean the way i describe it too is when i think back to growing up and obviously I grew up in the South. I went to college in North Carolina. Like it's not a super liberal accepting Mm -hmm. state. And so there was, there was more than just me 
being nervous to come out. It was also, I thought it was wrong. Like I Mm. grew up being told that it was wrong um, by my parents and by my family. And so it was something I tried to just shove away for a long time. So running was my coping mechanism. It was something that made me feel good about myself. It made me feel part of something. If, and I think back to like, if I didn't have that, I don't think things would have been terrible, but I probably wouldn't would have had some pretty unhealthy coping mechanisms instead. Mm. And so we also want to create that community of like this, this sport and this, the people in the sport who, I mean, most of our group runs, honestly, it's mostly allies that come because they want to support and they want to welcome people into the community. So it's kind of twofold. It's, it's also wanting to offer up, um, like I said, a, a supportive, encouraging environment that can help those who might be struggling or who might not feel like super welcome. Wow. Okay. So I'm assuming, did you grow up in like the Christian church or something? If you said you were told that it was wrong? Kind of. I wouldn't say my family was like super religious. Um, I think it's more just like conservative beliefs. Mm-hmm. Like my mom would say like marriage is for a man and a woman and uh, very, and she's come a long way. So I, I love my mom and she's tried very hard and she very much accepts me and loves Corey. Um, but it was a long road. And like I said, I, it wasn't so much just I'm unsure about this. I'm scared of how people are, what people are going to say. It was like, I legitimately believed it wasn't okay. And it wasn't legal in North Carolina either. So that was part of it. And actually until probably not that long ago. Um, That's wild. Yeah, I know. So when I came to Colorado, it kind of opened my eyes too of just being in a different environment. And I still love North Carolina, but when you just get into a different, uh, somewhere that's a little bit more open and accepting and you see that and you see how people are, it's a lot easier than to kind of imagine this lifestyle that you've thought about, but before you were here, like didn't even seem like something that was possible. Oh my gosh, for sure. When did you come to the realization and like, when did your heart come to the place where you were like, Oh, this isn't wrong. This is who I am. Um, (laughs) I think it took a long time, honestly. Um, probably pretty recently. I think there was a time when it just felt like, I was trying, you know, like I was open to like exploring this option, but it also still felt like something that was never going to be okay. And I think until I had the conversation with my parents and until my parents were at least going to verbally support me, then I probably wasn't ever willing to like fully accept or embrace it. And then once we got to that point and they were okay with it and have made peace with me choosing this lifestyle, I think has made it easier for me to then also make peace with choosing this lifestyle. Um, but you also feel like, I think one of the things that I, that I've thought about a lot, uh, I think it's a Brene Brown like kind of concept actually, but you can't like, you can't selectively numb parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think by shoving this part of myself down, I was actually, I was also like holding a lot of myself back. And so for a long time in my life, I never felt like I was being authentic. And I think of myself as being a very like genuine, honest, authentic person. And so that actually was taking a a toll on me as well as just feeling like I was kind of filtering myself all the time. Um, So that was part of, I think once I did kind of open up about all this, it wasn't just that it was like, I felt more like myself. I felt like happier. I felt more authentic. um, And like, I wasn't censoring myself, I guess. So do you live with a sense of like freedom now that you never really felt like you had before? Oh, totally. Yeah. What's yeah, your favorite absolutely. thing about Corey? Um, probably her sense of humor. She's like the funniest person I've ever met and just is a nut and goofy like all the time and is extremely entertaining. Um, 
I also like, I was telling my mom about this recently that one of my favorite things about us is that we enjoy the same things. And Mm -hmm. so she's actually just like my best friend too. And so, um, we really enjoy running and cycling and camping and, and doing all the same things together. So that's always been fun. That's so good. Yeah. I, I was looking through your Instagram and I, you said something about find someone that makes you laugh every single day. That's so important. I feel really bad. I know that not everybody's funny though. And people fall in love with people <laughs> that aren't funny, but I'm like, if you can't laugh together, man, that life just, it sucks a lot out of it. That's true. I, yeah, I don't know what it would be like without that. Cause it's, we laugh constantly. And you turned a non-dog lover into a dog lover? <laughs> she she still fights that a little bit, but 100%. One of our, my older dog um, is like her dog now, and she very much is – she loves him. So she says she just loves him, not all dogs, but <laughs> I think she does. So what does this look like now? Wait, wait what does she do full-time? Like what's her job? Uh, she's a project manager. She okay. works for a design firm. Okay. So what does that look like now? She's working kind of, is this like a normal eight to five type job? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have these like just probably hours. weird <laughs> hours, like running a million miles, running your two businesses, finishing school. What does life look like? It's a little crazy. Um, she's been working from home since COVID started, which has helped us spend more time together, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but I, but again, I think that one of the biggest keys is that we do and enjoy the same things. And so I guess one of our most quality times we spend together every day is we run in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, she only goes like five miles right before work, but we go every day together. And so that's kind of when we catch up. Um, so it looks different, but I think it's good. I think there's like a healthy independence and we do still like enjoy free time together, but it's a challenge sometimes. I work a lot on the weekends at mm-hmm. times. So um, there's just a balancing act. That's a dream to start your day like that, though. So if she's working normal hours, are you guys going at like 6 a.m.? Yeah, we'll go pretty early. Um, of course, she's at that, like, hopefully none of her bosses listen to this. Oh, they sure. would not. But but like, <laughs> she's, you know, she's got to be online at 8. So we'll start our run at 730. And she's back here right at 8 uh-huh. to log on. So it'd be different if she's having to go into the office, actually. But I don't know. You guys live in Boulder. You might there might be some runners that she works for. <laughs> Well, we just moved to Denver, actually, oh, Denver. but but there probably still are. Yeah. I think she has a few a few coworkers that she runs with sometimes. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, where was I going with that? I was going to say something else. Oh no, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask a little bit more about outrunning. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you said you're in 25 states. I I think so. I'd have to. We have a list of people. Um, but I, that sounds about right. We've done a lot of calls recently with some ambassadors. Okay. So what does that look like? I think that there is a chapter. I'm in Indiana. I think there's a chapter here in Indiana. Yeah. There was someone that Corey was talking to. Um, was it Nita by chance? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love yep, her. Yep. For sure. Um, so basically each ambassador that we have will kind of be the point person for their community. So it's not like there would only be one in the state. There could be, you know, somewhere like California, there could be plenty. Um, so they will kind of, kind of be in charge of building their community within their area. But then we all connect, you know, we're going to do like monthly zoom calls with all the ambassadors. Um, we'll have like, hopefully at some point, like maybe annual events where everybody can get together. Um, but mostly it's just about connecting and kind of creating community like in your community. And so here we've, we've got such a great community now and have met so many amazing people. Uh, and they're just kind of spreading that as far as we can. Um, so yeah, we've, we've linked up with all the people that have reached out to us um, and then have a plan to kind of start some things once it's safe to do so again. But we're like a little bit on hold right now, obviously. 
Um, but yeah, we're kind of excited to see where it goes. Yeah. It seems like it's kind of just like organically and naturally spreading. Like people are finding like people from different States are gaining interest. Do you have like a big dream vision for what it could be? Are you good with this like steady progression? I mean, you use the word that we've been using, like we really like this organic growth process. Um, maybe it's just our nature not to be like, I don't want to say organized because we are organized, but we don't, we don't want to put parameters on what a community looks like. We want it to be what they need it to be. Um, and that could vary from place to place, you know, somewhere like Denver is very different than maybe somewhere in a small town in the Midwest or somewhere in the South. And so, um, we're kind of leaving some flexibility for the ambassadors to embrace that role and really build the community the way that they think that it needs to be built. Um, and so that for some places that could be maybe more consistent and routine for some, it might not be. Um, it's just, is our, I guess, biggest pushing point has been as long as the message is the same, then we don't care how that goes about. Mm -hmm. Our only intention really is to create more like welcomeness and support and encouragement. And so that doesn't have to look like any specific way. Okay. So what is your message to a young person who is in the shoes that you were in, you know, back when you were competing for North Carolina and even as a young professional? Um, I think one of the biggest things I learned, honestly, and I think I've said this before, but when I look back by not telling my friends and family and not kind of giving them the opportunity to like rise to the occasion, I guess I was almost number one, like not having enough faith in them mm -hmm. to, to respond appropriately. Even my parents who, even my mom, who I love so much, like responded a lot better than she could have or than I thought she would. Mm -hmm. And so by not giving them that opportunity, it was like I was kind of robbing them of that chance to be there for me or to support me. Um, and I kind of regret that because I think in some ways, like, that's what we all want. We want to be the person that someone can come to when they're struggling or when something's hard. And so I wasn't letting them do that. Um, and most of the feedback I got from my friends was, like, why are you dealing with this by yourself? Like, you should have let us, like, carry some of this for you. Like, why are, why are you carrying this load alone? Um, so I guess my advice would be to, like, believe that the people around you are going to, like, rise up and support you the way that they should. And, and that's usually, it's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not always the case. But um, I think that it's at least worth a gamble <laughs> because the payoff is getting to feel more like yourself. And I think getting supported and encouraged to be like a hundred percent you instead of 50% or 70% is just like, you can't even imagine how much better it feels and how much more, um, like output I have, you know, like I started running better. My relationships were better. My work was better. Like everything else got better too. Once I was willing to share that. That's awesome. Yeah. I was just reading, have you read untamed? It's like, I haven't, but I know of it. Yeah. Glennon Doyle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it wrong, but <laughs> she was talking about Something about um, when a kid comes out to their parents and instead of the parents saying like, oh, I accept you no matter what, like, what do you mean no matter what? Like, of course you accept me. I forget how she stated it, though. And it was so perfect. Like, it was almost like I'm celebrating that with you rather than like, oh, I accept you no matter what. Like, what was there? Was there ever a one way or the other, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. So it's kind of like, well, I love you so much that I can like deal with this thing instead of like yeah. Cel yeah, celebrating this different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I had the book. I actually listened to it on Audible, which I would recommend because it's her voice. And I just, oh, cool. if you, if you put your book on Audible, read it. I'm like, 
pushing. Okay. <laughs> I like push so hard for authors to read because I just feel like the book feels so much more real when it's mm-hmm. the person who wrote it speaking, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I get that. I just read or I just listened to White Fragility on Audi- Audible and it, the woman's voice was like, did you listen to it on Audible? I haven't. No. Okay. It's like a computer basically. And I'm like, oh, I should have read this one. We need, uh, I need to start looking at reviews on Audible. Like who reads the book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that book is good. You should read Untamed. It's so good. Everybody should read it. It's so she's such yeah, a good writer. Yeah, it's on my list. Yeah, for sure. But Amelia Boone actually on this podcast was the person who told me I should listen to it rather than read it. So then read it. Yeah. Okay. What are your dreams with running at this point? That's a good question. I'm at, yeah, I'm in a weird time in my career. I feel like where I've, I've done a lot and I'm definitely nearing the end. I don't know if that's two years or three years or four years. Um, honestly, I've just been so much more driven and, and empowered lately by wanting to, to make a difference in the sport because not because I think it's broken, but because it's already given me so much that when I do f- at least finish the competitiveness, competitive, like competitive side of it, I want to be able to leave it better than it was when I got here. Um, but of course I still have things I want to accomplish as an athlete as well. So, um, I'll stick around a bit longer for some of these hundreds and have some like interest or inklings to do maybe some, some big long FKT projects mm-hmm. later. Um, but for the most part, I've just been really having fun being involved in the community, um, just racing to race and just kind of being in it and not getting too caught up in, in like actual performance goals. What was physically harder, Leadville or Western States? Oof. Gosh, that's a hard question. They're both <laughs> so hard in their own way. Um, I think Leadville felt harder because it was the first time I'd been through it. Um, and I didn't handle it well, mm. like emotionally and mentally. And I had, I have this vivid image of Corey and I sitting, she was, she paced me the last 30 miles, I think, um, sitting on a rock with four miles to go. It was like 1am pouring rain, freezing. I'd been throwing up for like six hours sitting on a rock. I was bawling. Like, I don't think I can finish this. She was bawling. Like you don't have to. And like having this conversation and then we got up and we did it and it was like so magical, but it was also probably the most broken I've ever been. Mm. Um, and so I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe just being my hardest one and never being pushed to that point of like physical breakdown before. It's it's crazy because that's one of the lowest points in my running career in terms of like how bad I felt, but mm-hmm. also such a positive memory of like being there with this person that I care about so much, seeing me like more beaten down than I've ever been, but still like together being like, no, we're going to finish this. Even if we have to like walk the last five, which we did (laughs) walk the last five miles. So, um, it felt harder. That felt like one of the biggest mental and emotional challenges I've ever been through. So when you finished, did you think I'm going to do this again? Or did you need a, did you need that time to play a role? Um, I think I pretty immediately said I wanted to do it Uh again. I think because it went so bad and I'm like, this is, (laughs) I can do better than this. And I didn't think I could do it. And I did. And I finished. And it's like, we can do this better. We're going to come back and do it better. Mm. So will you go back and do Leadville? I think at some point. Yeah, definitely will. I like that race a lot. I've been, I've been up there the last, I guess it's only been one year, but, um, that they've run it. 
really cool community up there. Um, so eventually I'll go back, but I think it'll be a couple years. So you ran in 2018 when you got second place, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so you went back and as like a spectator or did you cruise somebody last year? Um, I had two, two or three athletes racing. So I was oh, there as a coach. Cool. Um, so I didn't crew any of them just because I couldn't, have, they right. were so far apart. I couldn't just pick one of them, but I hung out at this one aid station that you go by twice throughout the day and basically call all of them uh, each time they went through. So it was still really fun. Yeah. And a lot of friends racing too. Oh, that's cool. So I saw you post that there's a race that's happening coming up in like a month or so. Yes. Okay. What tell us so, about that? Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm tentatively supposed this there's the race I'm doing in a month is in a build up to another race. That's a ha- hundred miler in September. Oh, cool. Um, that is happening as of now that I'm registered for, <laughs> But uh, they sent us – so the one in a month is called Quad Rock. It's a 50-miler in Fort Collins. It's a pretty big race, like, for a local race. Um, the 100-miler is Run, Rabbit, Run and uh, Steamboat Springs. It's a pretty big 100-miler. Um, but they sent out, like, the race protocol that if the race happens, like, the race protocol that they're going to follow. And it's it's going to be pretty crazy. It's going to be, like, a vision quest by, by yourself out there. Like, you can't really have a crew. Uh-huh. You can have one person crew you. They're going to sh- – like, there's going to be less aid stations. It runs through the night. Um, so I'm a little nervous about it. I think it will be fun and such a – like, a growth opportunity. But I'm also like, oh, my gosh. It's like a solo 100-mile adventure by yourself out in the woods in the dark. So we'll see. Yeah. Are you most nervous about getting lost or what are you most nervous about? Yeah, getting lost and – also, I think it's maybe irrational as this is, but like animals, like I've, I'm in the woods all the oh, time. Yeah. So, so the, there's a lot of prize money in the race, but to make it harder for like the elites, um, you start at noon instead of starting in the morning. So it goes through the whole night and you can't have a pacer. And so those are like the two things that make it really hard. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I've run maybe three hours at a time in the dark, mm-hmm. but to run like eight or nine hours by myself, I'm like, oh my God. What if I see a mountain lion or a bear? What, or... what will you do? I have no idea. I'm <laughs> so I convinced my friend Claire to do it too. And um, I don't know how long we'll actually be together, but I hope for a while because she thinks I'm irrationally terrified of everything. But I don't know. We'll see. I feel like I'll carry bear spray or something with me just to have some kind of security. I mean, I would. I, I mean, you, all of you hundred mile big time ultra runners, you guys are way more brave than I am because I would be terrified. Um, but it does seem like right now with races being canceled, like the obvious races that would be okay to happen would be a race like this because you're out in the woods by yourself. Even if it wasn't, you know, if, even if they didn't have those strict protocols, like you can socially distance pretty well in an ultra race, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and just the way they separate the fields for this race anyway, they start the main race in the morning and then half the field, maybe not even half, but uh, later in the day. Um, but I, yeah, I agree. And I think that's why there's still some trail races happening mm-hmm. versus some of the road races, because it is a little bit easier for them to separate everyone. Um, so that, that part's been cool, I guess. But then at the same time, yeah, thinking about being very socially distanced in the woods by yourself yeah. is also kind of scary. So it's a, pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the ultra, the trail races just are, there's just not as big of a crowd. So that sign up for them. Right. Whereas right. like, obviously if you have a race of 10,000 people or something like that, it's probably going to need to be canceled this year. I yeah, can't believe there's sure. any major races even still like Chicago just canceled. I'm like, how are they just now canceling? I feel like we all kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen. Right. 
Yeah, it's like people holding out hope, I uh-huh. guess, that things are going to be different. But yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I think everything should probably I'm even surprised some of these trail races are happening, even yeah. though it is small, smaller fields. But yeah. I mean, it could still not happen. We'll see. Uh, so I have just enjoyed getting to know so much about the mental side, the competitive side, Corey, outrunning, all the things you're doing. So um, I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. Let's do into podcast questions. I think Emma sent those, right? Yes. I don't think it's I, okay. I, I glanced at them. I didn't reread them before this, though. Maybe it'll be better to be authentic and... It's interesting. Should, should I prepare? Should no, I no, prepare? no, 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 okay. no, no. I, it's funny. I can always tell when people have read them and when people haven't, and it doesn't matter either way. Um, like it's more scripted if they have? Well, yeah, I could just be like, oh, they. I could. T- I don't know. Sometimes you could just tell when someone's put a lot of like thought into it, or oh, I can hear like paper crumpling. They've like got yeah. the paper oh. out. <laughs> um, the last question is, what's one message to send to the world, though? So I do always feel like people are like, oh, whoa, what's my one message to send to the world? You're just going to throw <laughs> okay, that on me? That one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's roll. All right, Addie, what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you have not done yet? Um, I think I would like to travel and do some kind of big, like, whether it's a big epic run by myself or some kind of big race abroad. Like I feel like I haven't gotten out and experienced um, maybe some of the international racing as much as I'd wanted to, or like I said, kind of covering big routes somewhere else that I'm not as used to. When you go do those FKTs. When I go do those FKTs. Yeah. yeah. You've been all over the world though, racing with the U S mountain team, right? I have, but I I'm kind of envisioning more of like some big long efforts, mm-hmm. like to really see a place. Um, in fact, actually, maybe this is a better answer because I, Corey and I have recently gotten really into biking and mm-hmm. we've realized how much more ground you can cover on a bike. And so we've already planned some routes that we want to do that would take probably two or three weeks. Um, so whether it's an actual organized race or um, just something we plan and whether it's on foot or on a bike, I just really want to get out and like explore like really long stretches of, of trail on something somewhere. That's cool. I can't remember where they went, but Scott and Jenny Jurek, they mm-hmm. took their kids. They were in Japan and they did like yeah. a month long bike trip. You'll have to pick their brain on. on that looks super cool. Yeah. Biking stuff like that. Um, I can't believe they took those two kids, though, because their youngest was like not even two. I mean, yeah, that's no, crazy. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Ah. Uh. Honestly, probably this this new initiative we're starting with Outrun. It's been really rewarding to go from someone who was very like didn't even offer up this part of myself, very like unsolicited, to like really wanting to make a difference um, and getting you know the emails that we get from athletes, especially honestly a lot of uh, college athletes, mm. uh, and even if it's only 10, 20, 30 people that we're reaching, like the difference that it can make for someone to feel like they're not the only one has been probably one of the most rewarding things I've done. Like, yeah, professionally or just even personally, like in my, it's just been really rewarding. That's so cool. I have to apologize. I think I've been saying outrunning and not outrun. No. So our website is outrunning actually because outrun was already taken. And so you're not wrong. They're, they're both accurate. Um, Okay. Yeah. That website was already, already taken up. So we're like, well, I guess we'll do outrunning. Yeah. But your shirt, (laughs) like your apparel and stuff says outrun. It does. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm so glad you're doing it. I just like finding a purpose outside of just running or outside of just podcasting or just 
doing whatever it is that you do is so important. And so that's, that's really cool. Life feels a lot more meaningful that way. It does. Yeah. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, it was part of my research for the book I'm writing, but it was the first time I'd ever read uh, Daring Greatly by mm-hmm. Brene Brown. Um, and it, it really, I really liked it. It kind of impacted me a lot and had me thinking a lot about um, my own life. Um, the other book I'm reading that my mom gave me, uh, it's Colin O'Brady, uh, the book's The Impossible First. Okay. And so maybe this is also why I'm obsessed with these big like, tr- like solo treks is that he did, I think, the first unsupported um, crossing of the North pole or Antarctica somewhere very snowy and remote and dangerous. Um, and it's like his experience there and kind of the things that he went, went through. And it's, it's also a really cool book and really inspiring and has had me thinking about, yeah, testing myself in similar ways. Okay. So you said you read daring greatly researching for your book. I was wondering, I always wonder this when people are writing books, cause I hear authors say like, Oh, I have to stay away from this kind of book because I'm reading, I'm writing this kind of book. So do you stay away from like, for instance, like Matt Fitzgerald's, how bad do you want it? That's the type of book that I'm like categorizing <laughs> you writing. It. You know what I mean? There you have it right here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a list of books. Um, no, I mean, I look at it as I do definitely have to be careful with like, yeah, making sure I'm keeping yeah. my like authentic voice. Um, but I kind of look at it as like standing on the shoulders of giants kind of thing. Like there's all this great work that's been done on things like, um, so when I was reading Brene Brown's book, it was about, I was looking up, um, the, t- the chapter I was doing was on like curiosity and being willing to fail and, um, you know, understanding that failing or falling short is a byproduct of trying hard things and pushing yourself. And so there's already all this great research and content on these topics that I'm not trying to like reinvent the wheel. I'm trying to maybe just take some already really great work and apply it specifically to the context that I'm trying to talk about. So I've probably read in the last six months, 20 or 30 books, honestly, and I think it's been awesome. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's research too. My favorite, yeah, exactly. my favorite thing to do um, when I have an interview, the person that I'm interviewing that has written a book is that I get to read their book. I'm like, oh yes, they've written a book. That's like the best research as long as the book's good, I guess. <laughs> well, I've asked myself that so many times. I'm like, I mean, Corey's read the whole thing and she tells me it's great, but I'm like, do people want to read this? Are they going to buy it? Oh, for sure. <laughs> people are going to listen to this podcast and be like, oh my gosh, I already learned so much about breathing techniques. I have to read it. Um, yeah, that's so exciting. That's that's just so cool that you're doing that. Who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Oof. You were looking at me um, so confused, and I was like, Did, is that a weird question? Because <laughs> I heard the first part, and I didn't catch the last part. I'm like, someone I'd want to do what with? Um Gosh. Oh my goodness. That's such a hard question. I should have read these beforehand. Dead or alive. So many, so many people dead or alive. Um, I feel like I'm going to regret these answers later. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm getting like sucked into like the athlete context now. Like I really think both, uh, Serena and Venus Williams are so inspiring that I would like love to, to hang out with them. But then, um, I feel like I could go so many directions with that question. Um, I guess we'll go with that one for now. I also really appreciate, um, maybe it's cause I listen to it in my runs all the time, but, uh, Dak Shepard's mm. podcast. Mm-hmm. You listen to that? I yeah. think he and uh, Kristen Bell would be really fun to get a cocktail with too. 
I love how I love his interview style. He's so good. I do too. He's really smart. Too. Yeah, he is really smart. I listen to him sometimes for inspiration because I'm like, I think it's my favorite style of show to listen to. Yeah. You know, um, who did I just, oh, John Legend. I just listened to John Legend's interview. Did you listen to his on, uh, on I Dax? haven't yet. No, it's like one of the new ones. Yeah, no, yeah I it's a newer one. I'm trying to think, uh, John Legend and then, oh, I can't remember whoever the other most recent one. But uh, yeah, I listened to Dax regularly. And at first, when I first started listening way back in the day, Monica kind of got on my nerves. But now I love her. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She's kind of added a lot to it. She Um, totally does. Yeah, and sometimes she's she remains pretty quiet, and sometimes she gets really aggressive, and it's like like she gets into the questions a lot. Yeah, Um, and she's funny. Yeah, she does a great job. Okay, so Dax and Kristen. Okay, these are terrible answers. These are the answers of someone that like didn't think about it until um, I know just now when you say I know who the other person I listened. It was Glennon. And then that's one of the other reasons I ended up reading her book. Oh, she was on oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. That was a really good one. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so what's the drink? What are you drinking with, with Venus and Serena? <laughs> uh, I'm like, do they even drink? I don't know. Um, well, they can I'm mostly, drink Coke. Yeah, yeah, true. I'm mostly a beer drinker. So I usually will have like some kind of IPA or something. But if I was having a cocktail, I don't know, maybe like a Moscow Mule or something. Okay. All right. And here's the big one. Uh, what is your one message to send to the world? Ah, uh, um, I think this is one I've been like yeah, asking myself a lot recently, but I, th- I feel like with most of the issues that we're facing right now, it just, everything kind of boils down to like just human rights, you know, like just treating each other well. And I think at its core, if people could just have good intentions with their actions, even if people disagree or, um, maybe someone has a different opinion, just if people could just act with good intentions, uh, and treat each other well, I think that sounds so simple. And so maybe cliche, but that's just what I try to tell myself a lot of the time is just make sure that my intentions are good. So if everybody could do that, I think there'd be a lot more good things happening. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks Addie for coming on the show. You all can find Addie on social media on Instagram. She's just Addie Bracy, A-D-D-I-E-B-R-A-C-Y. Also check out OutRun on social media. They're underscore out underscore run over there. And you can find me on social media. I'm LindsayHine626. You can on Instagram, on Twitter, I'm at LindsayHine. And on Facebook, I'm all have another podcast with LindsayHine where we have a group as well. If you're looking for more episodes for me, additional content, you can find that on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Hine. I just recorded a podcast with Lopez Lamong that's going to go out next Friday, and we have an extra 10 to 15 minutes with him for Patreon-only supporters, and he gives us some details on the Breaking 2 uh, project where he got to pace Kipchoge, so it's super cool. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. Have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.